Today's Wednesday, yeah. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. I, I need some time. You're going to have to give me, you're going to have to give me, uh, uh, well, probably today's show. You're just going to have to give me today's show because I really, I'm, I'm done with the CDC. I'm done with the masking stuff. So I just, I need a breather. No pun intended. I would use the rim shot, but there's a hum in the line. And I'm not going to subject you to that. So I will tell you. Oh, so we could do this. Would you like to play a contest real quick? It's not the contest for the Rolling Stones tickets, although we will be doing that during the show as well. You have a chance to win the Rolling Stones tickets by being the 11th caller. When you hear the song Start Me Up by the Rolling Stones and me simply saying the name of the song or the band does not trigger this contest. Okay. First of all. All right. Second of all. How many emails do you think I had in my email inbox in the account that I just got into yesterday? (laughs) So I am saying this because I apologize if anybody has attempted to send me an email via WBT. There were some uh, highly technical, technical reasons for uh, me not. It was me, actually. I apparently (laughs) messed up somehow. And when I created the email inbox or something, it... um, yeah, I, I made two. I made two of them or something, and so it couldn't figure it out. We finally figured it out. It is fixed. Downside is I've got quite a bit of emails, and uh, so I'm not going to actually run a contest for this, but how many emails do you think I could have accrued in the inbox? And we're saying this was, Ryan, since when are we saying this occurred? Like roughly... About a year ago. It's about a year. So let's call, I think, yeah, I guess it is probably from like July or something. So let's say in, in 12 months. All right. Um, Now keep in mind, like people are like a million emails. It's not that it's not a million. Like that's ridiculous. Okay. Cause I never used it. So I was never sending, receiving or anything like that. Well, I was receiving, but um, I gave no, I was possum, right? I was playing possum. I was like, You would not even know that anybody reads the email inbox because nobody actually was. So it's not like I was juicing, not juicing the stats here. But a year, just passively receiving emails. (laughs) Uh, In a related story, I spent last night clearing out emails. (laughs) Uh, No. The answer is, oh, no, I can't play that either. Um, The answer is... About 8,500 emails I got (laughs) in a year in an account that I don't even use. Now, imagine the accounts that I do use. All right. So uh, I thought there. So I got a couple stories. We're also going to talk with Congressman Patrick McHenry, which I realize now he's the first guest on the show. But I mean, it really doesn't feel like the first guest because, you know, I was doing the podcast for the last year and then I was hosting the show for like nine years prior to that. So it's all just kind of like one big show for me. But I guess technically he's the first guest on the new noon to three slot here. So I'll ask him if he feels as honored <laughs> as as I do. Um, so he'll join us. Uh, we'll talk about a couple things with him, such as, for example, um, the hearings that are going on this uh, this uh, January 6th House Select Committee. I did notice there's there's not a lot of coverage of this outside of the, uh, you know, the corporate mainstream outlets 
Um, taters all over it. That's uh, Brian Stelter over at CNN. That man is ridiculous. He's just ridiculous. He is the new Ed Schultz. Do you remember Ed Schultz? Rest his soul. He was a former, I think he was a former NFL player, and then he became a radio guy. He was a Republican at one point. Then he went hardcore left. He hosted a show on MSNBC, and uh, he passed away a couple years ago. But he was he was just kind of ridiculous, and that's what Brian Stelter is. Um, but, like, I get that, like, uh, Schultz was a was a radio guy. He came out of radio, and so there was like there's a certain and everybody in radio knows exactly what I'm about to say is true, which is there are certain people in radio that are kind of carnival barker esque. You get my meaning, right? They're like over the top. Everything is like the best thing ever, like that kind of. Yeah, the prices are insane, crazy Eddie kind of a guy. Um, Brian Stelter is ridiculous in a. In a way that uh, Sideshow Mel, you know, the from The Simpsons, the, the Sideshow Bob's, it doesn't matter. Point is, he doesn't even realize it. He thinks he is not ridiculous, and he is, and that's what it makes it kind of sad. And he has a nickname also of Tater or Potato, because he kind of, he does kind of look like a potato. And I'm not trying to be mean about that. Okay, maybe a little bit. All right, it's a cheap shot. It is a cheap shot, but sometimes I take them. So uh, there we are. The U.S. All right. So let me uh, let me start here though. The federal judge, a couple of them actually. U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit said that a Christian web designer who lives in Colorado, Stan, must create websites that she says violate her religious beliefs. So this is masterpiece cake, but on the web. This is the Masterpiece Cake Shop, except she designs websites. Now, I appreciate like the, the details of this, and I agree with her the premise of her case, and I understand why she's doing it, but there's a part of me that's kind of like, um, are you doing this for the publicity? Because she sought this ruling. She sought a sort of like a preemptive ruling, and... I just kind of wonder if you're if you're using it for marketing purposes, which is not a terrible idea either. I just, you know, it's that that is something to keep in mind. Kind of Carnival Barker-esque, right? The U.S. Court of Appeals, this is from The Blaze, a story by Chris Pandolfo. He says the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit said that the Christian web designer who lives in Colorado must create websites that she says violate her religious beliefs. In a two-to-one decision, the appeals court said 303 Creative founder Lori Smith must design graphics and websites that celebrate same-sex marriage because Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act permissibly compels her to do so if she is also going to create websites that celebrate heterosexual marriages. This was a two-to-one decision, so we should expect this to be appealed. Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act prohibits any business that offers public services from denying an individual or group goods or services on the basis of sexual orientation or any other of the protected classes that are listed in the uh, Anti-Discrimination Act, much like a non-discrimination ordinance, which is now also, coincidentally, yes, 
coming to the city of Charlotte again. And the last time the city of Charlotte took up a non-discrimination ordinance, things went so well for the state. <laughs> Is traffic doing well? I don't know. Let's... The moose started frequenting the ground level of parking. Yes, sir. News Talk 1110-993-WBT-704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. Talking about this uh, Court of Appeals 10th Circuit ruling. It was a two-to-one decision, so it was close, but uh, and it will likely be appealed. But it is very much a test of the masterpiece cake shop, you know, bake the cake, bigot, that whole, <laughs> that whole uh, case. It's sort of that... Uh, 2.0. It's Masterpiece 2.0. The name of this company, though, is 303 Creative. Is that like a riff on the 404? You know, isn't that the 404? I don't know. Is Colorado? Do they have 303 as like their uh, area code? That might make more sense. 303 Creative, it's a website founded by Lori Smith. She does graphics and stuff for marriages. And so she makes a website for your uh, for your Announcement, I guess. This is the thing that people do. Don't they? But aren't there other platforms that do that? Maybe she does the... It doesn't matter. The point is here that she offers this service, and she is not comfortable offering the service for same-sex marriages because she disagrees with same-sex marriages. Okay. Uh, For religious reasons, I assume. Colorado has this anti-discrimination act. They sued... um, Or, yeah, I guess they, they, they got sued over... The enforcement of this act against Masterpiece Cake Shop, the owner, Jack Phillips, who refuses to bake cakes celebrating same-sex marriage or transgender sex reassignment surgery. Now, all right, I have to ask this question, and it's the question I asked when we were discussing this over the years, this case. Why would you want a cake from someone who isn't happy you're getting married? Why would you want that guy to bake your cake? Seriously. He's making you food. You're going to force him to make you food. You're going to force him (laughs) to violate his religious principles and feed you something of his own creation that you're not in that shop watching him make it, right? You're not in there watching what he's adding to it or, or leaving out. Let's be, you know, fair. So I, I like call me crazy. I would not want to eat a cake from somebody that uh, wasn't, you know, on board with the event and someone whose religious principles I'm forcing them to violate just because, I don't know, they they may do something to my food. Now, I'm sure that all the professionals will be like, we would never do such a thing like that. And that's possible. But I would prefer to be safe than sorry. That's just me. So here again, we have somebody trying to force this uh, woman. No, actually, we don't. No one's trying to force her to build a website. She filed a pre-enforcement challenge because she believes that being required to create a website for a same-sex wedding would violate her religious beliefs about marriage. And so she hasn't even offered any wedding-related services, but she intends to do so in the future. And so she's getting... So she was like, just to be clear, I want to make sure, am I in violation? And then the, the state is like, oh, yeah, you're in total violation. 
So then it goes to the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals, 10th Circuit. They do what's called an en banc or en bank. It's B-A-N-C. So I always sound like an idiot when I pronounce it en banc. It's just like, oh, he's trying to be French. Look at that, which nobody would try to be French. Anyway, two to one decision. And uh, this is probably going to get appealed. Judge Mary Beck Briscoe, she wrote the opinion for the majority. She says Colorado has a, quote, compelling interest in protecting both the dignity interests of members of marginalized groups and their material interests in accessing the commercial marketplace. She says, to be sure, LGBT consumers may be able to obtain wedding website design services from other businesses. Yet, LGBT consumers will never be able to obtain wedding-related services of the same quality and nature as those that appellants offer, that, that Lori, what's her name here, Lori Smith, offers. Thus, this is why I say, these are lawyers wearing robes. This is so stupid. Okay, there are no instru- uh, there are, there are no less intrusive means of providing equal access to those types of services. She says the judge says that Smith has something quote similar to a monopoly over her own creative talents. <laughs> this I do too. Oh my gosh. Am I violating somebody's rights right now? It's possible. It is possible. It's kind of like that thing like everybody's always violating like a certain number of laws at any given second, like I, because I too have what you could consider to be a monopoly over my own creative talents. I'm in violation. I'm out of order. This whole place is out of order. I don't know. I've always felt like I had a monopoly over my talents. I never realized that I was robbing other people of these talents. So what does this mean for me? Because that is like, I try to make it, you know, all about, me, obviously, <laughs> but no, how like this is the case for anybody. What are your talents? If you're a woodworker, for example, and like you're you have a monopoly over your specific woodworking talents, I guess even if they're not very good, so then what do I have? I have the right to demand your talents for whatever I want you to make. Well, where does that end? Like, am I allowed to? Am I allowed to not talk about a topic if somebody wants? I mean, oh, my goodness. Like, this opens up a whole can of worms for uh, news organizations and, and entertainment venues and such because you don't have any right to say no to anybody because you're monopolizing your talents. I would be like somebody calls in and they're like, hey, I want to pitch a story to you, Pete. I want to pitch a topic. I would like to be a guest. I can't say no because that would be, you know, withholding my monopolized talents. <laughs> This is so stupid. These are judges. These are federal appointed judges on the U.S. Court of Appeals. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but this is why, like, I have over the last, it's probably, it has accelerated. It has accelerated over the last decade. My opinion of judges, just in general, has really, has really taken a hit. It has. It's gotten pretty low. And I'm sorry, I know that there are good judges, you know, hashtag not all judges, hashtag not all lawyers. Well, almost all of them, but whatever. Like, I know there are good ones. I do. But this is ridiculous. This is insane. The dissenting judge. Okay, so here's a good one. The dissenting judge. I don't know who this is. Judge Timothy T. 
Timkovich. He said that the Constitution protects Smith's beliefs and warned that the logic, quote-unquote logic, being used by the majority would vastly expand the government's power over speech. Quote, this is, in a word, unprecedented, he said. Taken to its logical end, the government could regulate the messages communicated by all artists, forcing them to promote messages approved by the government in the name of ensuring access to the commercial marketplace. Which I actually, I, I thought that was, in fact, the point of the ruling. Isn't that the point of the That's Yeah, that's where we're heading down this path, I thought. That sounds like a smashing pumpkin, if I've ever heard one. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. I was just uh, discussing this story out of Colorado, Stan. That's why I call it that. Um, about another company, although she sought the ruling, it was a two-to-one decision that said, uh, yeah, you do website designs for weddings, and you say your religious beliefs will not permit you to participate in a same-sex marriage uh, website design, and so therefore um, you would be in violation of the Anti-Discrimination Act of Colorado. And uh, the rationale for this is that you have creative talents and that by having these talents, it is similar to a monopoly. So you have a monopoly on your own talents. And as we all know, the free market is only one person. So this makes total sense. Let me go over here to Mitch. What's up, Mitch? How are you? Hey, Pete. Hey. So in in hearing this, I think these judges are going to have to hear every case now that they're asked to hear, (laughs) because if they don't, they're going to rob someone of their unique legal opinion. That's a great point. They have a monopoly on their their brilliant legal minds, and so they cannot say no to any case that comes before them. They have to hear them all, because if they don't, they would be depriving us all of that monopolized service. Absolutely. That's a great point. I say, well, I almost said let's move to Colorado so we can start, you know, sending lawsuits at them to do that. Uh, but I, I don't want to move to Colorado. So, hey, all right. I appreciate the call there, Mitch. Thank you. I don't have anything against Colorado. I flew over it one time. That's it. That's all. That's, that's my entire experience with Colorado. I think it's pretty tall. It's like the tallest of the states. That's it. Did you see this video of the police officer that uh, threw the plastic baggie in the back seat of the car? And the guys in the front were, uh, I was going to say rolling tape, but I'm dating myself there. They were recording on their phone. Some One of them was recording on his phone. And I saw this over the weekend. I was out with some friends. Uh, we, were at a, we were at a brewery. Does that make me sound hip when I say that? Like I was at a brewery, a brew pub, a gastro. What is a gastro pub anyway? It sounds nasty. Anyway, I was at a brewery over the weekend and... 
the um, video I saw come down, and I was like, oh, my gosh, look at this, and I showed it to everybody, and everybody had the exact same reaction. If you haven't seen the video, it's, I don't know, it's like 12 seconds long. It's very short, and it starts off, it's like taken from the driver's seat or passenger, the front of the car, and uh, in one of those front seats, and the camera is shooting sort of through the back, like along the side of the seat, through the back open door, and the cop is standing there, and he's got something in his hand, and he leans over into the car, and he throws it into the back seat. And the person on the who's got the video, the driver, I think, says something like, hey, you know, I'm recording you. And the cop says something like, that's fine, I'm, I'm recording you too, so we're all good. And as he, and he throws the thing in the back seat, and then he starts putting on a, uh, like a purple-colored uh, latex glove. Like, you know, to collect evidence or to, to handle stuff. And the guy in the front seat says, hey, what did you just throw in my back seat? And he takes the camera, swings it around, and you can see it's a, don't ask me how I know this. I had a friend, that's how I know this. I had a friend years ago who may or may not have shown me a plastic baggie that may or may not have been in possession of or, be, or was possessed by somebody who used it for illicit purposes. And that illicit purpose was drugs. So these plastic baggies, they'll put the baggies, uh, they'll put the drugs in the baggie, and then they uh, they tie it off right at the bottom at the corner because it's not a lot of drugs. So you put a lot of the drugs down in the corner, and then you 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 twist it, you put a little knot in it. But when you use it, you rip it open, you use the drugs, and then what's left is essentially like a torn corner of the plastic baggie. And every cop has seen this. Every Drug user, drug pusher, everybody has seen these, okay? And so that's what the guy, that's what the cop had, and that's what he threw in the back seat. And when you watch the video, it quite clearly shows him tossing this into the back seat. And, of course, the driver says, what are you planting in my car? And that became the viral video. I mentioned I saw this video over the weekend, but I am only discussing it now. And this is one of... One of my, uh, I don't want to say rules, because, well, but rules are made to be broken. But one of the things I try to do, and I understand that in breaking news situations, you want to get as much information out as quickly as possible when people's lives are in danger or there's essential information that needs to be passed along. But part of the problem in our modern society is the news now. It's not just the 24-7 news cycle, per se. It's the fact that everybody thinks that they have to have the story right now. And they put out information that is either incorrect, it is misleading, it's biased, it's not the whole story. To get the truth, you need to wait a little bit. We need to collect some information. That has to happen. And this is a perfect example of it. Because according to The Blaze, Chris Enlow, activists on social media sent a viral video around. This was a Wisconsin police officer allegedly planting evidence inside a vehicle during a traffic stop last Wednesday. And that was the only portion of the video that we saw, right? It was just this 12-second clip. Now, the police department has released the officer body cam footage. Okay, so my apologies, I lied. It's not 12 seconds. It was 14. I'm sorry. It's like you can never trust me again now. I know. The short 14-second video shows an officer with the village of Caledonia Police Department in Caledonia, Wisconsin, ironically enough, 
tosses an item into the back seat of a vehicle that was allegedly pulled over for traveling 63 in a 45 zone. Hey, bro, what's that? The passenger of the vehicle asked the police officer who threw the item into the car. What's what? The officer responded. What you just threw in here. I got you on camera, bro. The passenger responded. And then he pans over and he shows the plastic baggie. So here's what the police, you know, you know where this is going, right? Do you know what this was? Any idea? You care to guess? Are you in suspense right now? Am I doing my job? Okay. A subsequent search, <laughs> a subsequent search of one of the rear passengers produced an empty corner tear of a plastic baggie from a passenger's pocket. The empty corner tear did not contain any illegal substance, but this type of packaging is a common method for holding illegal drugs. Indeed, it is. The empty corner tear was turned over by the searching officer to another officer who was on the scene. That officer then turned it over to the officer who was seen on the video. Since there were no drugs in the corner tear, the officers discarded the empty packaging material in the vehicle. This is what was observed in the video. While we would discourage officers from discarding items into a citizen's vehicle, the video is clear that the officer is not planting evidence or doing anything illegal. Additionally, the empty corner tear is not itself illegal. Nobody was arrested during the stop, and only the driver was cited for speeding. So that's, that's where the baggy tear came from. It came from a guy in the car. <laughs> that's, the, that's the kicker here. It came from a guy in the car. But we've got a North Carolina lawyer. He's out of the Durham area, former Republican guy, Greg. I want to make sure I pronounce this correctly. Duche. And that's how he that's how he pronounced it. Or Duchette, I think. E-T-T-E. It doesn't matter. He was the one who advanced this thing. He pushed it out there over the weekend and everybody just ran with it. And then it was like, well, it could have been planted. Yes, and if poop were gold, we'd all be rich. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. No, Andy, I will not be able to live tweet Governor Roy Cooper's COVID briefing tomorrow. I apologize. Well, I mean, I might if, I mean, if he does me a solid and schedules it for like after 3 or at 11 a.m., not completely unheard of. Governor Cooper does usually do his COVID briefings around the two o'clock hour. And I think all but two of the COVID briefings over the last year and a half, I've live tweeted because that's the kind of person I am. I am a giver and um, I watched it. So you didn't have to. And so I, I live tweeted it as it occurred, taking notes, sending out, Hey, Cooper's saying this, Cooper's saying that. And because there are people who, you know, they don't want to watch uh, the governor's uh, COVID briefings for fear of the, you know, the bleeding from the eyeballs or ears um, that sometimes accompanies these types of things. Uh, but uh, also, yeah, you may not be able to play the audio. Maybe you're not in a, a good spot at the office or something and you don't want to subject your coworkers to uh, Governor Cooper's dynamism. He really is. I mean, when he gets on that, no, he's not. He's. 
Um, I am, and then I will tell you what, like the reporters ask. We'll try to do what we can. I don't know when it is. I was just trying to see. Uh, let's see if they've updated the time here on the official COVID briefing page. To, 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 no, just says July 29th. Time is yet to be determined. So when I know the time, then I'll know the answer to the question. But chances are I'm not going to be live tweeting. Now, we may be able to carry it live, which is always fun to do press conferences live. If you've never done a live press conference with me, oh, it's a treat. I mock the reporters. <laughs> well, I mean, good-naturedly, of course, right? Because that's my way. <laughs> Do it. It's out of love. Actually, let me just get this out of the way because I know there are reporters that are like, yeah, Pete, he's mean. The reason why I am so hard and critical on reporters is because I demand more. I do. I demand more from journalists, especially those during the pandemic who got the access to the governor. If you were one of the anointed ones that the governor and his comms team allowed into the press briefings, allowed to ask the governor a question, if you were one of those few, then you had an even greater responsibility to press the governor on the why of things. As I went over the other day, I am interested in the why. Not the YMCA, but the why. I know the what, and I know the who. You're going to come out here and you're going to tell me those things. You're going to say, this is what I want to do. Okay, but what about the why? I want to know why are you pushing for this? And what's the studies? And explain to me the science. And nobody did any of these things. I was very critical of the, the lack of questioning. Now, there were some that, by uh, I want to say about three quarters of the way in, some reporters started getting a little aggressive, kind of like microaggressions, if you will, towards the governor on some of these things. But uh, there was a lot of it that was just, could you tell us again, you know, how awful people are when they're not masking? And when will you mask uh, or when will you put more mandates for masks in place? And what do we really need to do to get more mandates? And can we have some more masking? Is there something you could do to really punish people? How are you going to drop the hammer on these people who won't listen to you? Like, that was the nature of almost all of their questions. And for that, I was critical. Because it's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Somebody asked the question, move along. And if you don't have a good question to ask, except to reiterate or re-ask what someone else said, then, then you're just wasting everybody's time. And there are other reporters that have better questions, and you should defer to them. And there's no shame in that. Sometimes, well, I mean, look, there isn't. There are sometimes, you, you know, if you're nowadays, you got reporters that are assigned to all sorts of stories, right? Back in the day, <laughs> there were beats. People would have a beat and you would learn a lot about that beat, right? You would know the people, you would know the, uh, the, the rules and how to get information. You would know how to work sources. You had sources. You had a level of expertise and what we have Real, I mean, what has been laid bare in all of this is when they, uh, when new, they, when newsrooms sort of got rid of the health reporter beat. This is like this would have been the time for health reporters to shine, right? And you don't have a lot of that expertise any longer. I'm not saying every newsroom hashtag not all newsrooms, but they're most of them. They don't have any level of expertise to be asking these types of questions, let alone dialing in on a conference call to the governor who, in case folks aren't aware, and I think a lot of people in the press corps are not aware of this, 
Governor Roy Cooper is a politician. I know. I should have told you to sit down before I said that. My apologies. He's a politician. And as a politician, he sometimes, are you sitting down for this? Okay. He sometimes makes decisions that are to his personal political benefit. I know, I know. It's it, like once in a blue moon. I mean, it, the Republicans do this all the time, of course. It's the Republicans. I mean, they're terrible. But Governor Cooper, sometimes he's been known to dally a little bit. Dally? No, dabble. To dabble in the, well, no, he is on time. He doesn't, dally, he doesn't dilly or dally. He's usually on time. But he dabbles in the partisan politicking. He does. I'm being sarcastic. I am fluent in sarcasm. I am being sarcastic. He is a partisan political animal. Okay? But nobody seems to know this. So when you are a, you know, you're a general assignment reporter in, I don't know, Greensboro, and you're doing TV news, and, you know, your assignment was either monitor this press conference today via Zoom call, right, or uh, go cover an apartment fire, and you got the Zoom call because the apartment fire wasn't big enough to get enough good video. Seriously, like, these are the decisions that get made. Like, well, we'll just send a photographer out there. They'll just spray the scene. They'll just get the video, some smoke. You know, maybe some firefighters, you know, dragging the hoses and stuff. And if it's hot, you know, maybe some people wiping the sweat off their forehead or whatever. Get a comment or something from the, uh, from you know, a, a fire spokesperson. And because the fires now have spokespeople. That's the, it's the latest rage. Anyway, you get that done. And then you send, you don't have to send the reporter there. And the reporter gets to hang out and just record the video from the COVID briefing. And turn a package out of that. And what makes it a really local package is if the governor calls on me and answers my question. So there's this incentive built in for me to ask a question that the governor answers so I can put it in my package. And it doesn't really matter if the question has already been asked and answered. And it doesn't really matter if the question or answer has very little value either. So there's sort of a peek behind the curtain of how... uh, of how these press conferences are actually run, but also kind of how I view the reporter role in covering these COVID briefings. All that's to say, if it happens tomorrow during the show, yes, I will try to take it live. And uh, speaking of live, you'll get a live news update in mere moments on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. And uh, the number, if you'd like to weigh in on any of the... Uh, extremely entertaining and informative content so far. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Congressman Patrick McHenry will join me uh, after the one thirty news. We'll be chatting about the uh, January 6th House Select Committee, jobs, the economic recovery. That's an air quotes. And <laughs> the... Uh, if we have time, we'll hopefully we'll uh, get his thoughts on the uh, southern border crisis, not a crisis. Don't call it a crisis. Um, so Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, and I don't know why I always have to say Joe Biden. It's never just President Biden. You ever notice that? It's always Joe Biden. Not just for me either. Everybody does it. It's like his name is O'Biden. Anyway, supposedly nonpartisan fact-checking organization PolitiFact This is Leon Wolf, by the way, from The Blaze. He's out in Tennessee, but um, he used to write for Red State, I believe, as well. He says for the 
Biden administration this week, um, they they got a solid assist from the PolitiFact people. This is one of the reasons I don't really take a lot of stock in PolitiFact either. These fact-checking groups that, like, first off, that's what, like, you guys are reporters, you're journalists, you're supposed to be doing that. That's your job, this fact-check. Like, you're supposed to be doing that in the stories that you do anyway. But now you carve out this this little standalone feature that says this is a fact check. So now we really mean it, right? We really mean it. But the bias here is in, just like in all journalism, is the in the story selection. In what are they choosing to fact check? And are they giving any kind of benefit of the doubt to the person who uttered the thing that they are fact checking? And this might surprise you to learn that the vast majority of the time, the benefit of the doubt is never afforded to people on the political right. They will always assume the most nefarious or malicious kind of, uh, of uh, motivation or meaning behind a statement from someone on the right. Generally speaking, there are occasions where people in PolitiFact or what's the other one? Fact Check is the other one, right? Um, and they're even, uh, the, North Carolina's got its own State-based one, Andy Speck does it out of, where is he now? I think he's at WRAL now because they bought the franchise, basically. I think they moved the whole fact check, the PolitiFact NC. They moved it from the McClatchy to WRAL or vice versa, I forget. And they'll pick these statements that are, you know, cartoonish usually. And they'll do the, well, actually, and then... That becomes, uh, you know, content for politicians in their reelection or election campaigns, usually for Democrats. That's how that works. These are in-kind contributions, essentially, where PolitiFact will take some statement that a Republican says. They put it up there they're like, for Pinocchios, you're a liar, whatever, and they put it up there, and then it gets used in a campaign ad against that Republican. Everybody knows this, too, by the way, which is why you should always be suspicious of people who claim to be, you know, objective, non-biased reporters who pretend that they are not part of the uh, the political arena. They are combatants. OK, they are actors in the play. And they say, I'm just here to monitor and tell the story of what's going on. And that's not accurate. It's part of why they're there. But here's the thing. Their presence alone changes the nature of the story. Of course it would. This is why a perfect example of it is the U.S. Supreme Court. Why do they not allow cameras in that courtroom? Because they don't want to politicize it, right? They don't want, they don't want uh, judges mugging for the camera, basically. And I understand that argument. People behave differently when you've got a camera trained on them. They behave differently when they know they're being recorded. This is why people are like, well, they didn't know they were recorded. It was a hot mic moment, right? That's why these things are always so explosive is because they think that it's like here they are being honest or being crass or crude or whatever. So the mere presence of the media at an event changes the nature of that event. At minimum, it does this. And so you are a participant in the play. And 
Then you start asking questions. And now you are engaging with actors in that play. Now you're even more of a participant because now you're asking questions. You're you're directing coverage and such. And so when PolitiFact comes along and does this fact check of not Joe Biden's comments, but of the Republican, the House Republican caucus. This is a classic example of what I'm talking about in the in the well, actually, I'm going to, you know, give the benefit of the doubt to the person that I prefer, and I'm going to skewer the people that I don't prefer. So Joe Biden at this, uh, what was he, it was a town hall uh, debate on CNN, and there were like, I think, five or six viewers. And a question gets asked, I will read the question from the questioner, who says, quote, how will you address gun violence? from a federal point of view, to actually bring about change and make our local cities safer, as opposed to the foreign cities, which could be made safer by federal. It doesn't matter. Point is, the question gets thrown to him. It's a softball question. How will you address gun violence from a federal point of view? That's the question. Here's his answer. I will sift through the, come on, man, what the, I oh, the stumbling and mumbling parts. And he says, I'm the only guy that ever got passed legislation when I was a senator that made sure we eliminated assault weapons. (laughs) He's the only guy. He's the only guy. He alone passed the assault weapons ban, which that must be news to everybody who has a rudimentary understanding of how bills become law in America. But he's the guy. He's the only guy. He said, the idea you need a weapon that can have the ability to fire 20, 30, 40, 50, 120 shots from that weapon, whether it's a a 9mm pistol or whether it's a rifle, is ridiculous. He says he'll continue to push to eliminate the sale of those things, but I'm not likely to get that done in the near term. So... He's the only one that was able to pass the legislation, but he can't do that now because he's president. See, when he was one of 100 U.S. senators and not even in the House, he was the only guy that could get that legislation done. But now that he's president and is only you know, one president, the one guy, now he doesn't have that ability. So sorry. But the key here is that he thinks a 9mm can shoot 120 rounds. <laughs> to me, is. <laughs> Like, what kind of 9 millimeter is that? What is the size? How big of a magazine is in that 9 millimeter? So he says he will continue to push to eliminate the sale of those things. What does that mean to you? News Talk 1110-993 WBT Pete Callender here 704-570-1110 1-800-WBT-1110 Let's go to the phones and chat with Mike. Hello Mike, how are you? Hey, how you doing man? I am yeah, so alright. There's, there's plenty of 100 round mags you can easily pop into a 9mm gun plus there's the AR platform that has a 9mm caliber available that you can put clips around or magazines in them to handle. He says it's a 9mm pistol. Yeah, nine millimeter pistol. Yeah, it normally takes like a seventeen millimeter, like a Glock, for example, a seventeen round clip or magazine. Um, they've got hundred round mags that pop right in. 
into a nine millimeter handgun. A handgun, yeah, pistol, bingo. How big is that magazine? It's big. It's it's a good round. The Was it like a Tommy was, gun? It's like a drum. Yeah, sort of, but different. <laughs> but that basically, it's a double drum, actually. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's actually a double drum. It's really uh, quite a piece of apparatus, but and it gets heavy, I'm sure. No, yeah. Hundred yeah. rounds is pretty heavy. Lead. <laughs> I don't know how you. Well, you're definitely not concealed carrying that thing. No, no. It's just it, you know, but it does. It, it the whole argument is so silly. It goes to the person that's pulling the trigger. It doesn't matter if the car has a registration or the gun does or anything like that. The person behind the trigger, the person behind the gas pedal, that mows people down. You know, and that's the argument, and that's what's got to be stopped. The amount of guns, the amount of ammo, makes no difference. Yeah, I hear you. Thanks, so. Mike. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, so yeah, nine millimeters. So here's the direct quote that gets fact checked. Well, I take it back. Politifact does not fact check this. It fact checks the reaction because oh, I forgot. One of the rules of journalisming is that if the scandal involves a Republican, then the story is the scandal. If a scandal involves a Democrat, however, the story is the Republican reaction to that scandal. I don't make these rules. That's journalisming modern day. So here's what Biden says. The idea that you need a weapon that can have the ability to fire 20, 30, 40, 50, 120 shots from that weapon, whether it's a 9mm pistol or whether it's a rifle, is ridiculous. I'm continuing to push to eliminate the sale of those things. What are, what are those things he's talking about? What would you think he's talking about? Nine millimeter pistols, exactly. He's talking about nine millimeter pistols or rifles that can hold these uh, this number of rounds: twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, or one hundred twenty or more. Basically, I think anything over twenty is what he's going for there. Yeah. So any firearm, or, well, I shouldn't say any firearm. I'll say nine millimeter pistols and rifles that can fire. Uh, more than 20 rounds, I guess, in a magazine. And I'm just adding that part in there because, like, honestly, like a revolver can fire 20 rounds if I reload it, like, four times, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't really <laughs> – I'm assuming it's one magazine, okay? I think that's op- I think that's a, a, a pretty important piece of information. Anyway, the House Republican Caucus takes this comment and they put out a tweet that says, President Biden says he wants to ban handguns. PolitiFact, riding to the rescue to White Knight for President Biden. Well, actually, this claim is false. Why? Regardless of the definition, neither term includes all handguns. So this is the, the this is the splitting of the hairs in the vocabulary that PolitiFact is using. They're saying that the Republicans are accusing Biden of wanting to ban all handguns. Do you see the problem? Well, I guess, do you hear the problem? Yeah, the problem is the Republicans don't say that he wants to ban all handguns. They just said he wants to ban handguns, which is true. The 9 millimeter type of handgun is the handgun that he is saying he would like to ban. But PolitiFact sweeps in there or swoops in there and says, He didn't say all handguns. No, he said nine millimeters, but neither did the GOP. They didn't say all handguns either. So PolitiFact is fact-checking something that the GOP did not say, but they're assuming the worst of intentions, and they're assuming uh, the worst meaning. 
They then go on to say, for example, the Sig Sauer P365 was ranked the most popular handgun in a 2020 survey of Alabama gun dealers. <laughs> I don't know why that's important, but the NRA Shooting Illustrated magazine named it the handgun of the year. The standard magazine for the P365 is 10 rounds, and depending on the model, the weapon can accommodate a 15-round magazine. See, so he's not talking about that. Right, but hey, the Sig Sauer P365... I assume, as caller Mike indicated, you could probably find ways to add more rounds to a magazine that it would accept. So why wouldn't it be part of this ban that he's talking about? PolitiFact's own admission here is that some models of handguns would doubtless be affected by Biden's gun control plan. They say it is possible that some models of pistols would be affected. There are designs that bridge the gap between handgun and rifle and are built to accommodate larger magazines. But they represent a subset of firearms and barring them would not constitute a ban on all handguns. So that is the the least charitable interpretation of the Republican position. And Joe Biden enjoys the most charitable interpretation and that's just the way things are so by the way when you hear people complain on the right of hypocrisy and i know like we've been doing this for years i've been in this you know talk radio industry for a long time and there used to be a time when a complaint of hypocrisy carried purchase right where it meant something where you could say hey you're you know holding us to a different standard than you're holding them and basically these pleas are going out to media because we viewed the media as the referee in this in this you know great debate but they're not anymore so calling on the media to act as a, a neutral party and referee is pointless at uh, nowadays in our in our current society it's pointless it doesn't matter so when people are like well it's a different standard like i acknowledge that i agree nothing will change because most reporters in Corporate media, mainstream media outlets, most reporters in America now are on one team. And it's not the Republican team. <laughs> and so, uh, and now they may not be like registered Democrats. Some of them are, but they may not be registered as part of that team. But they, they are simpatico, if you will. Let me go over here to Garrett. Welcome to the show. Hey, Garrett. Hey, how are you? Hey, um, I just good. want to say I'm uh, doing an awesome job. I really liked the new show. Congrats. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I just want to weigh on this subject real quick, if you don't mind. Um, are you familiar with um, uh, a gun rights advocate called, uh, I think it's Colin, Colin Noir, I believe? Does that name sound familiar to you? Maybe. Uh, although your pronunciation may be throwing me off a bit. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Yeah, it's a pretty hard name to pronounce. I think anyways, I know what you're. Um, yeah, I think I know who yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, well, he made a really good point um, that I think sounds very accurate with what's going on. I mean, I think you know, ultimately, I think after the handguns itself, and they know that if they keep chipping away slowly and slowly and slowly, before we know, it, we pretty much just won't have a Second Amendment. And I think that's what their goal is ultimately. Uh, well, that's always been the goal. And if you and here's the thing, I am a believer. In accepting and listening to people when they tell you what it is that they want, I accept it and I believe them. Generally speaking, if people say, like, this is what we want to do, we want to ban all semi-automatic weapons, then I generally will accept them and believe them that that's what they want to do. So when they, when they make these arguments, listen to them and believe them. 
because most of the time that is, in fact, what they are attempting to do. Uh, Joining me up next after the news is Congressman Patrick McHenry. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. And joining me now is North Carolina Congressman Patrick McHenry from the 10th Congressional District. Congressman McHenry, how are you? Great to be back with you, Pete. Great to be back with you on on uh, on, the, on WBT. It's uh, been a great while. to have you back on the air. <laughs> That's right. Your well, podcast is fantastic. And uh, now we get you over uh, over the wireless. That's right. Old school. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, so I appreciate you making some time for us. So let's kind of get into it because this is live radio. So we've got much less time uh, to to chat than the podcast would allow. But let's uh, let's kind of hit the high points here. Uh, First off, going on on Capitol Hill yesterday, I saw all of the coverage of the the House Select Committee on the uh, the riot at the Capitol. And so, uh, first of all, um, how badly did you want that assignment? Did you really need, you really (laughs) wanted (laughs) to get on that? It's not exactly an easy assignment. (laughs) I mean, that that was a horrible day and uh, horrible violence that occurred at the Capitol. Um, And I think what we saw there is a lot of the footage that we've seen. Uh, For those of us who have paid attention uh, to the coverage of this over the last seven months. Um, But I don't know that there's any new set of facts. Uh, that we have from that day, but we just know it was a very tough day. Uh, the sad part about it is we never got into the command decisions about why uh, that they were not adequately staffed, why there was not an adequate number of police officers, why the National Guard was delayed in being called up, and what, what were the decisions made um, uh, by the leadership team there, uh, and especially Speaker Pelosi as it, as it pertains to the safety of the Capitol. So why is and you're, I assume this is why Pelosi blocked appointments on that uh, committee made by the uh, the Republican leader McCarthy, right? Yes, I mean the, the simplest reading of this was uh, she did not like the players, right? It, it, so if you can pick the opposite team's players, uh, you're not going to pick their most uh, uh, well spoken. Uh, research or uh, the sharpest edge uh, players for the opposition. So she didn't like the picks of, of Banks and Jordan. Okay, that's fine. Um, but the idea that, that her her appointees here are somehow uh, non unbiased fact finders is just a damn farce. Um, pardon my language, but it's just an absolute farce. Uh, the, the the idea that Adam Schiff is a is an uninterested anything. Uh, to me, is is uh, just the, the 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 craziest thing. Yeah, that's sort of the insult to injury with Schiff being on the uh, on the committee. Um, but I also wonder is is there is there an element of self owning here in that Pelosi not allowing the Republicans to make their own appointments? It allows the Republicans to just dismiss anything that comes out of here, does it not? Yes. And I, I don't think uh, I think this is much more about a show uh, to show videos and to tell stories and to highlight uh, January 6th for as long as possible. I think that's what it's all about. I don't think there's going to be any takeaway about capital security. I don't think there's going to be any takeaway uh, about sort of a, 
a greater understanding about the contours of that of that terrible day. No, because there is an investigation going on, right? The FBI is doing it. We we see all of the posts all the time, like you know, hundreds of people being rounded up and all this. So there is an investigation occurring, whether the Republicans are participating in the House Select Committee or not. So who do you trust more? Uh, a bunch of members of the House uh, yelling at each other about the day, or do you, uh, or do you think the Justice Department or the courts, um, uh... or or you know? Uh, that's a tough one. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's probably considering what I saw. I mean, honestly, well, considering what we saw over the last, you know, five years from the FBI, I'm not so sure that is as powerful a case to make any longer. But I get your point. Well, I would, I would say it's a slow speed chase. <laughs> Fair, right. Right. Um, but you know, uh, by and large, uh, a public debate is is better uh, for for I think most things. Uh, but look, I mean, uh, we ha- we have the you, you now have to have the Justice Department be- go before a judge and convince a judge. Uh, so there's some there's some separation of powers there that I think is is helpful uh, in this situation. Yeah. Um, but I think, frankly, people have their mind made up about January 6th and they have context for how much they care about it. Um, and The Washington Post, and The New York Times only want to spend time talking about that rather than actually this administration's failed policies or this administration's failed anything, uh, frankly. It is a helpful distraction from things like, oh, I don't know, inflation. Is there some reason why nobody wants to acknowledge that this is occurring, aside from the obvious, that there's you know some political ramifications for acknowledging that, hey, you know what, maybe these policies might not have been the best thing to you know help America rebound from the self-imposed recession? Well, they went through this, and they said, uh, no, there's no, no inflation. And then uh, Janet Yellen says, yes, there's inflation. We're going to see it for the next couple of months. Um, and then Joe Biden said, uh, well, no, no serious economist would say there's inflation. After the Secretary of the Treasury, <laughs> who was actually a noted economist, um, <laughs> um, said there's real inflation. And then the, the, we've now culminated into uh, the administration saying, well, actually, it's a good thing. Uh, so they went from it doesn't exist to uh, it. it uh, nobody would ever say it existed to, uh, yeah, no, actually, it's a great thing. Um, so it's like critical it, race theory. It, it's like the same pattern. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, for sure. But but getting into this whole thing about inflation, economists are going to debate the nature of inflation um, and until we're deeply into inflation. So let's step back from that. The practical thing is Joe Biden and the Democrat policies have made it more expensive to live life. You want to buy something? It's less available and more expensive as a result of their policies. I can see a direct linkage between their votes on spending a massive amount of money, extending unemployment benefits in in an overly generous and uneconomic way that has no no, no connection to COVID. And, and see the ramifications in the workforce and the cost of things that we all want. So they, they've got bad facts on there uh, uh, that, that uh, they have to contend with. Bad facts, meaning stuff that runs counter to their narrative that you've got to go spend a whole lot more money in order to get through COVID because everything's COVID.
704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Thank you to Congressman Patrick McHenry. We actually got him in between uh, <laughs> engagements there. So he could not stick around. We'll have him back on. My apologies for uh, for cutting him short. Um, jobs and the economic recovery uh, after the pandemic. And he, uh, like, I, well, I agree with him. The stuff that, that we have seen this administration do and the House and the Senate the Democratic leadership, what we have seen them engage in, I find to be reckless and unnecessary. Uh, I was, of course, you know, I was pro Tea Party at the time, and that whole uh, philosophy was stop spending. So I am not on board with the, what is it, MMT, the modern monetary theory, which is basically that debt doesn't matter. We can just keep spending, and there won't be any repercussions because reasons and i think that we probably would have already you know rebounded out of the government enforced recession if you want to call it that i know technically there's a definition of recession you know two quarters of negative growth which would be shrinkage right negative growth i've always like that term <laughs> negative growth it does not make any sense to me it's like a near miss oh that was a near miss so you mean a hit because that's what a near miss is it's a hit it's either a hit or it's a miss. You would nearly hit something. Anyway, never mind. I, I know I go down these rabbit holes on the on the language, but the language matters because so many times our friends on the left use the corruption of language, the twisting of definitions in order to essentially gaslight us, but to change things. To, so like we were all operating under the definition of a word. Here, a great example is, you know, equity. We were all operating under the definition of a word like equity for Years and years and years, then all of a sudden it gets changed to mean something else. And now we're like, well, we're for equity, so how can I be against this thing? And like, exactly, now you have to do what we tell you. So um, I don't think that we needed to do everything that the Democrats did, unless, of course, you believe that you honestly believe in the MMT stuff, that you can just keep spending us into oblivion and it'll be fine, or you're trying to bankrupt the system. Which, by the way, now you're getting into a Cloward and Piven kind of a strategy, which is like these are the old sociologists that uh, they said, look, this is the way that you get everybody to a basic guaranteed income is to bankrupt the system and make it therefore uh, volatile, you know, civilizationally because people's benefits will then run out. You get people hooked into the system and you overload it, you bankrupt it. Uh, unrest occurs, and then the rich, the elite government will say, okay, uh, we'll go ahead and give you what you want. Here's a basic guaranteed income. Please don't burn down our houses. That was Cloward and Piven, essentially. And so, like that, and there are people that have spent decades since the 60s working to make that happen because they don't like our system. Now, the guaranteed income, I'm not necessarily, I wasn't not necessarily uh, opposed to it. Because there, there's there's an idea there that even Milton Friedman endorsed, which was instead of washing all of the the benefits programs through a bureaucracy, why not just give people a check? And this is it's why I was uh, uh, enamored with the flat tax idea or the fair tax, I should say, the fair tax idea, which was you understand that everybody has a certain level of spending for certain, uh, you know, minimum uh, quality of life, standard of living, 
Each different uh, market, each region, each city is different. You find out what that is, and you basically rebate it back to people. And so that creates, um, well, it's a check depositing system that the IRS would then administer that rather than collecting the money and basing it on income and everything. It would say, okay, in order to afford, you know, rent and food and, you know, some clothing, whatever, in Charlotte, it would cost you, let's say, $30,000 a year. And so you would get that equivalent directly deposited. Everybody in the area gets that rebated back to them. And then anything you spend above that is taxed at a single flat rate. That's the idea. And uh, I like the idea because, again, it eliminates the bureaucracy. So this idea of a guaranteed income eliminated the bureaucracy. So they actually tried to start some of this back when Reagan was president, the earned income tax credit, right? They tried to do this, but then they realized very quickly, wait a minute, Democrats are not actually interested in stripping away and tearing down the state. Right? They're, not, they're not going to deconstruct the bureaucracy. They're, they don't want to get rid of the programs, which honestly, if you think about it, it's kind of a jobs program for federal workers, right? And state workers who administer these programs. These people are paid pretty good salary, pretty good benefits to administer these programs. And they will vote for people that continue those programs. So there was no incentive to do this, which is why, you know, Cloward and Piven are like, well, this is how you do it. You over you, you overthrow it. You overload it. I should say you overthrow it by overloading it. And that's what I view what's happening now. That's what I view they're doing. That's my view of what they're doing now. I could be wrong on that. I am persuadable on that. Maybe they're just completely economically ignorant. <laughs> that's, that's a very real possibility. Uh, there's a particular bartender with an economics degree that comes to mind <laughs> when I'm thinking of that. But otherwise, I'm not sure how you think you can spend trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars and have no negative impact on the long-term financial stability and viability of our nation. So I don't think that we now. I am concerned about the housing because, <laughs> like, holy Toledo, it's crazy. Here in Charlotte, look at I just got back into town, and boy, are my arms tired. No, I'm looking at, uh, you know, we're looking at the uh, the websites and stuff and just kind of monitoring because we, we have a house to sell in Asheville. And so on the one hand, it's like, so I was talking with a friend last weekend about this very thing. I was like, so in Asheville, very much like Charlotte, we can get the house sold and take advantage of the crazy bubble, and then it pops right after we sell. Just as we're going to buy it, <laughs> so we can, <laughs> right, so we could get all of the money out of the one house and then <laughs> move into another one after the pop. No, because it's. I think it's going to. It has to burst. I think it's got to. Because what's happening now is insane. I see people. They're like, we'll go, we'll entertain all offers on like this day at this time. So come with your best offer, and that's it. That's your one shot. Like Eminem says, that's all you got. And uh, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm not going to get into a bidding war against myself. I'm not going to negotiate against myself. I don't know, is, is part of this, uh, the housing stuff, is it tied to the, uh, the, the larger economy and what's going on in D.C.? I don't know. So I was going to get into some of that with Congressman McHenry. Like I said, we'll have him back and also to talk about what's happening at the, uh, the southern border. On the PolitiFact story, got a uh, message here from John up in New Jersey. He says, PolitiFact has already demonstrated their willingness to lie. They tried covering for Biden and Harris, saying that they were not against the vaccine while Trump was still in office, and they have covered 
uh, for both of them as well as for uh, Governor Cuomo. Yeah, did you see that story too? That they're not that they're not going to pursue an investigation against Cuomo and other governors who completely bricked on the COVID response and sent sick people into nursing homes where you know tens of thousands of people died as a result of these policies. Like I've called this for years, the Big D Shield. That's what it is to me. The big D shield for Democrats. The D is so like it like this thing protects you from all of the kind of coverage and attacks that would otherwise be directed at you if you were not a member of the preferred party. And um and and to some extent I get it because especially like in North Carolina, the Democratic Party has been out of power now you know, really out of power. I mean, Governor Cooper, it's a weak governor system in North Carolina, but the Democrats have been out of power legislatively uh, for a decade. And they had power in this state for over a century and a half. And so they're not used to it. And so I understand that for a lot of people that were used to all that power, well, wait, wait, what do we hear from the critical race theory people? It's that um, equality to the oppressor looks a lot like discrimination. I think it's what they say. Right. So now the Democrats are on the minority side of this equation politically right They're They're now not in the majority and able to do whatever they want. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't live under these conditions that Republicans had to live under for over a century. So I understand there's some of that. I also understand that because you have a lot of media that have arrived in this state within the last 10, 15 years, they look at the Democrats as sort of like the underdog party. Oh, poor Democrats. Like, they're not getting their way and they're getting run over and all oh, those evil Republicans because they're in charge, you know, truth to power kind of a thing. And like, so I understand there is that element kind of in this dynamic, but just because they're out of power doesn't mean they didn't deserve to be put out of power. And one who was here all this time, I can tell you they did deserve to be put out of power. All right. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. My name is Pete Callender, and um, I'm going to run down a couple of the uh, headlines here. There's a website that I enjoy going to, and by enjoy, I mean, feel like I have to just to be aware of what's being reported. There's a website called Memorandum, Meme-O-Random, and it is a pretty good repository for all of the headlines off of the, uh, quote, mainstream media outlets. And so if you want to kind of get a, a, a you know, a, a, a good look, an overview of how media is covering particular stories, this website's a good site. And, and like a fish doesn't know it's wet, it is of the liberal persuasion, whoever the aggregators are behind it. Uh, and so you can see, like, for example, a topic like, the uh, the hearing on Capitol Hill about the riot at the Capitol, January 6th. And here are the headlines. And it'll give you like a whole bunch of the headlines under a category. And so you can see like January 6th riots. They have like a main story, but then they'll have all of these other related stories. And then they'll show you uh, other outlets that are discussing these particular stories. In other words, 
It's a glimpse at the echo chamber. You can see this website and you can see the echo chamber occurring. So here's the story from, um, or from Meme uh, Memorandum. That's M-E-M-E, or random, as in memorandum, but memes. I, yeah, I know. I don't even think it really applies any longer. I, it's been going on. They've had this. I mean, well, I started following the website when I used to work here over a decade ago. So it's been around a while. And back then, the word meme was like just now or was just starting to get used. Nobody really knew what the word mem uh, meant. People didn't know how to pronounce it. Uh, the only time you ever really saw it was in like crossword puzzles because it was a convenient, you know, M-E-M-E, four-word, uh, four-letter word that you could stick in to, you know, fill out a <laughs> a crossword puzzle. That's the only time. It, it's like, what, what? what's the other one? The uh, the sword that the, uh, the, not jousters use, but the... What, Lancers? No, not Lancers. What, that's a car. Lance, that's like a Suzuki. What are you even talking about, Lancers? That's a... Uh, no, what are the... Epi, Epia, or something like that. Um, what, what are the guys? The not the, the guys with the really thin swords. That um, it's an Olympic sport, and they got the masks over there. Uh, fencing, fencing, right? I knew it was a stupid sport name. Uh, fencing. They uh, the the name of that sword. It's like E P E or E P E E, something like that. Nobody uses this word. Well, I guess yes. Okay, fine. In the professional fencing world. People use the word, but nobody uses this word. They just call them swords, right? But in crossword puzzle land, it's a very important word, just like meme. So I digress. Meme random is the website. Here's how they stack up the stories for the hearing yesterday on Capitol Hill about the January 6th riot. You ready? Number one, CNN headline, House Republicans pull out of another Key select committee and a sign of one six panel fallout. I have that story, by the way. So that's a related story. Next up, and that is discussed by The Hill, The Federalist, and UPI. So only three outlets. Next up, Washington Post. As January 6th hearings begin, Republicans side with the terrorists. <laughs> that's the. <laughs> this is Washington Post. Dana Milbank. Discussion found on. NPR, CNN, The Bulwark, because, of course, The Hill, and The Moderate Voice. Next up, NBC News, Jonathan Allen. What will Republicans defend, if not themselves, the Constitution, and the Capitol? Discussion, located at The Insider, Washington Post, The Hill, The Western Journal, Associated Press, and Forbes. Next headline, New York Times, a hitman sent them. Police at the Capitol recount the horrors of January 6th as the inquiry begins. And this one's got tons of discussion at the New York Daily News, NBC News, CNN, Fox News, NPR, Washington Post, The Bulwark, Forbes, Bloomberg, Raw Story, Politico, CNBC, among others. Next up, Associated Press. Capitol Police testimony blunts GOP's law and order message. And that one right there might be actually the most important headline. Because that's, I think, what this is about. Hear me out. I know it might sound a little wacky, but not really. When you think of the two political parties and you think which party is closer to the, quote, law and order party standard than the other, which party... 
do you think fits that bill? My entire life, it's been the Republican Party. Then, well, I should say my entire life, because when I was a kid, I admittedly was not paying a lot of attention to politics. But my entire adult life, the Republican Party has been the, quote, law and order party, right? Republicans tend to view law enforcement as their team, pro-law enforcement. That's not to say Democrats have always viewed law enforcement as the enemy. I think when I was younger, there was more acceptance of Democrats and uh, or, or law enforcement among Democrats. That's why I think a lot of the unions and such uh, were Democrat aligned. But over the last decade, that has there's been drift, right? And it has particularly occurred last year, since last year. So, well, actually, since Ferguson. And so this split has been occurring. And after last year's ridiculously stupid slogan of defund the police and its obvious ramifications to anybody with more than half of a brain, um, you could see what was coming. And now the Democrats are in a pretty bad spot message-wise. They're going into a midterm election that historically they know they're going to lose seats in the House and the Senate. Right? They know this because, again, historically, the party that controls the White House in that first term loses in that first midterm election after the election uh, of the presidential election. They lose seats. That's always been the case. And so they're afraid they're going to lose a lot of seats because historically they should just by this, uh, the, the consistent uh, uh, sort of trend. You got that. You got the stupid slogan of defund the police. You got rising crime rates that people are associating with the defund the police movement and the letting the cities burn. That thing, not a good, just my opinion, but not a good course of action. Generally speaking, people don't trust you to protect them when you let their cities burn. So Democrats have a problem because people view them as a threat because they're not for law and order. So if that's the way you're being viewed, this is a very helpful narrative to help shift people's perceptions. Look at the Republicans. They don't care about law and order, actually. You know what that means. Well, playing the song. I mean, the lyrics mean obviously what they mean. But when you hear this song, it means that we're giving away a pair of tickets to the Rolling Stones No Filter Tour coming to Charlotte on September 30th at Bank of America Stadium. If you are the 11th caller right now to 704-570-1110, you'll win a pair of tickets to said concert. We'll be doing another one. Tomorrow, and then another one on Friday. I feel like today is Thursday. I don't know why. It's kind of weird. Uh, so good luck to everybody. And yes, by the way, you will encounter busy signals. When you call in, you will encounter a busy signal. There are a lot of people calling for the tickets, obviously. Uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy pulled out all six Republicans designated to serve on a key select committee on the economy. This according to three sources talking to CNN, a sign of the fallout among House Republicans over being vetoed from the panel investigating the January 6th insurrection. Again, this is CNN. 
I'm not sure I would count. Look, if you want to count, I said this at the time. I've been saying this for actually over a year now, which is uh, the activity that I saw occurring in cities by Antifa black block folks, you know, and the, the people who dress all in black and, you know, all in, that's, that's the tactic is the black block tactic. You go out there and you engage in this insurrectionist activity because that, that is what it is. That is what you are witnessing. It is insurrectionist activity. It is designed to tear down the institutions, wherever, whatever institution they're targeting, right? Um, that to me was insurrectionist activity. And so when I saw what happened at the Capitol, they're like, oh, this is insurrection. Okay. Like at first I was like, all right, you want to call that the same? Cause it looks the same. Okay. They're trying to prevent, you know, some institutional activity. Okay. But then I started seeing these videos of like the Capitol police waving people through and holding doors open for them. And now it's like, I'm not so sure this classifies anymore as insurrectionist activity. I think there probably were some insurrectionists there. I think there were also a lot of other people that were like, ooh, free tour. (laughs) And I'm not trying to minimize what occurred there because there were some people that were doing violent things. And by the way, this is the exact same standard that I held the Black Lives Matter protesters to as well. You're going to go out and you're going to do your protest march and it's peaceful. And then the sun goes down and then all of a sudden it turns violent. I understand your argument about, uh, you know, this was a peaceful protest and Those are some, you know, agitators that have just kind of infiltrated. Okay, that's fine. Now, I will give you that on a couple of occasions. But when you start making your protests start at sundown, now I'm starting to wonder (laughs) what exactly your purpose is. You're like, well, we were just there for the peaceful portion that lasted from, you know, 10 minutes until the sunset. And then we went home because... All that other stuff happened after we were gone. And that's not all of them, but that that was occurring. When you're scheduling protest marches at night, I have a pretty good idea what your intent is. Okay, so I, like, again, I'm trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. I try to do that. Um, I try not to ascribe motives to everybody, but I also am not going to be gaslit, right? I'm going to look at things. I'm going to see them as they are, and I'm going to go with what is usually the most obvious and simplest explanation. And so I think there were a lot of people on January 6th that went out there thinking that they were going to go, you know, stop the counting process from occurring because they really did believe that the election was rigged and it was being stolen from them. And and Trump was the rightful winner. There were some people that believed that. There were other people that were there just to yell and scream. They were already there. You know, their flight wasn't leaving for another, you know, day. So they had time to kill, whatever. And and when you're in a mob, this is why mobs are not good. <laughs> this is why I've been saying this about the Black Lives Matter, about Antifa. You know, when you get the mob all whipped up and they're all like, let's go, let's go chant in front of a building. It doesn't take much for somebody to throw a rock and then it's on. So I got a lot of questions about what occurred. So to that extent, I'm, th- I'm thinking, hey, well, let's see what, you know, these investigations turn up. But then when you got Pelosi handpicking the people and saying, no, Republicans, you don't get to choose who you put on this committee. I'll choose who's on the committee. And I just happened to choose Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Really? Really? Well, now I'm, I'm out. I'm out. 
I don't care what you're doing. That's why I didn't cover any of it yesterday. I didn't put any sound bites into the program today because I don't care because it's a joke. And this is coming from somebody who actually did care to know what all transpired. I would like to know uh, like a TikTok, a timeline of all the people involved and everything. I want to see all of this charted out and laid out in one compelling case. I want to know why certain Capitol Police officers were resisting the mob and some were helping them. I'd like to know that. I'd like to know, for example, about all of the FBI confidential informants that were apparently in the crowd. I think that's kind of important. And far be it for me to suggest that the FBI might not be the most credible nowadays law enforcement agency. <laughs> but apparently for the Democrats, see, this is they got this newfound respect for the FBI. These are the people that were like, don't trust the FBI, right? They were they saw feds lurking behind, you know, every corner in Haight Ashbury. But now, now, <laughs> now that the hippies are in charge, now the feds can be trusted. The FBI can be trusted. This is part of a couple of things. There I think there are a lot of people and this is bipartisan, that are totally comfortable with creating a domestic war on terrorism apparatus because we built the tools for a foreign uh, war on terrorism. I think there are a lot of people that see these tools and want to turn them against people in America, for, for one. I, for two, I think that the Democrats need a narrative shift, and this is sort of more, you know, just base politics. They need a, a shift in the narrative away from we hate cops, because that narrative, and I'm sorry, Democrats, but it, it kind of stuck. <laughs> After the last year or two or five, it has kind of stuck. People don't really associate you with law and order. What with the whole defund the police? But we totally didn't mean defund the police, but let's run a bunch of bills that defund the police. Which is what you guys did. I mean, come on. You did. You, you wanted to move money away from law enforcement. You demoralized your police departments. Cops started quitting. Crime rates started rising. Now you're, I mean, Barbara Boxer got mugged. And I guess that means now she becomes a Republican. I think that's how that happens, right? That's what I've been told. <laughs> that's what I've been told. Did we get a winner, by the way, of the, for the tickets? We did. I'm sure we did. It's been, it's been a long time. We do. Do we have a name? What's the first name? Uh, Ty. Ty Corley. Ty, congratulations. I love your uh, haberdashery. I'm a big believer. Anyway, congratulations. You can win a uh, pair of Rolling Stones tickets tomorrow. I'm not going to tell you when we'll play the song because even we don't know. What a tease. (laughs) Even we are not sure when it will. Even when we start the show. Even when we get like three hours almost into the show, we still don't know when we're going to play (laughs) the song but you'll be listening for start me up by the rolling stones tomorrow between noon and three i bribe you to listen we'll give away another pair on friday as well (laughs) right now i'm giving away some uh some time here to mark garrison to get us caught up on the news News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Little known fact about me. People are always asking, oh, Pete, you're new. Tell us a little about yourself. I recycle. There's a little bit. There's a tidbit for you. I recycle. I did it when I was a smoker, too. I would take the ends of the cigarettes, and I would just, like, make one big cigarette out of all of the... I'm just kidding. 
I didn't do that. I just smoke them all the way down to the filter, obviously, like everybody does. The uh, Mecklenburg County, what is this? Uh, wipe Out Waste Guide. The Wipe Out Waste Guide, or as I like to call it, the WOW. Uh, Mecklenburg County residents are encouraged to shatter their old recycling habits by separating glass bottles and jars, says Allison Kuznets. Kuznets? I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. At the Charlotte Observer. Technically, glass is still allowed in the curbside recycling bins. According to the WOW guide, the Wipeout Waste guide, or the MWOW. Wasn't MWOW one of the characters on Jersey Shore? MWOW. I think she was. People can go to, but people can go the extra mile here to make the county even more environmentally friendly and reduce recycling costs that, according to Mecklenburg County officials on the Twitter machine earlier this week. Charlotte Observer has the quote, This is not a mandate. Not a mandate. But please help us be more efficient. Mecklenburg Solid Waste Management Director Jeff Smithberger told the Observer on Tuesday. So, this is actually something I encountered. We had uh, a couple weeks back, we were having dinner with some uh, friends, and um, the, uh, one of their friends uh, uh, was a woman whose family, I think, owned a big uh, waste management kind of uh, company. And uh, they, as she was talking about, like there was a bottle, I think it was a bottle of wine on the table. And, and she, but I remember she pointed to it and she said, these things are like we're having a, a hard time with these. And I thought, huh, that's weird because the, uh, you know, glass bottles, I thought that was like, like that was the original recycling, wasn't it? The glass bottles and the, the metal cans. Because I grew up on Long Island and in a town that was like, I don't know if it's true or not, we claim to be the birthplace of recycling. They did crazy recycling. I remember, like, as a kid, I am now, and I'm 47. And so this would have been 40 years ago. They were doing, when I was, like, a kid, I remember having to tear the labels off of the cans of uh, vegetables, peas and carrots and stuff. And you have to pull them up because otherwise you couldn't recycle the can. They wouldn't take them. So we were peeling off the labels of our cans back then. That's how old school recycling I have uh, I am. So I thought glass was sort of this obvious, you know, component of the recycling uh, stream. And now apparently I am learning that this is very difficult. Bringing they want so they want us to bring glass bottles and jars to the drop-off centers. <laughs> and, and what did I just get through saying? I'm a recycler. My wife is a huge recycler. She, like, she's even more than me. And I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm not going to make a special trip to the, to the drop-off center. I'm not going to do it. I mean, come on. You know what I'm separating now for you people? I'm already, I'm, I'm rinsing to-go dishes. And then I find out, oh, you shouldn't be doing that either. Uh, what? Look. Here's my rule, guys. Like, and I'm sorry if I'm making more work and making your machines not operate correctly, but like I look at the bottom of the container. If it's got a number in the little triangle, right? 
that tells me it's a recyclable material. And then if there's like some sort of a chart that says, we'll take all of these numbers. And sometimes, you know, different counties are different and whatever. And so like some are sixes. They don't take the six. I've noticed sixes. We're not, they don't take the six. And so you got to remind yourself, all right, deep six, the six, no sixes. And I don't recycle them. But if it's another number, it's going in there. I rinse everything. I rinse off all the stuff before I throw them away. I even rinse out. I even rinse out the little buble uh, carbonated water drinks. I rinse those things out. I do not rinse. Okay, I do not rinse off the caps off of my egg whites. You know, like you, the the containers. They got the little screw cap on there. I don't. I don't rinse those. But I will start now because I'm saying it now. It's like I feel bad. So now, all right, fine. I will rinse them off now. But I'm not going to take just the glass bottles to a separate location. I mean, it's just I've been taught from a very young age, you never go to the second location because that's how you die. Ken, welcome to the show. Hello, Ken. Hey, Pete. I am so excited you're back in Charlotte. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I am, too. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to see if you've seen this uh, video on a YouTube channel, the, the name of the channel is Bobby Powell, and it shows uh, a broken window at the Capitol. A bunch of cops come over and guard the window and uh, grab the guy who broke the window. Yeah. Then the cops are ordered away from the window, and another guy who's masked comes up to the window, and there's still some glass hanging there. He pulls the glass down throws it on the portico floor, and he's alleged to say, hey, why don't you guys go on this window? Now, a third guy holding an American flag walks up to the window, spreads his arms, and says loudly, we're not going to go through this window. Yeah, I've seen this video. You've seen that one. Uh, you know, how can that be explained except by FBI operatives? And people should look at it on well, Bobby Powell. Not ne- well, but not necessarily, because the guy who said, hey, go in the window could have just been a troublemaker of any political persuasion. But it could be it, it could be, as you say. But there were a lot of there. Were a, I mean, this was what did we also find out about? Uh, I'm sure you're aware, Ken, the Michigan kidnapping attempt of the governor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what do we yeah. find out just last week from BuzzFeed of all sources? Right. They reported that it was confidential informants that actually created the plan and then uh, recruited people to help carry it out. Exactly. And they paid that guy, that guy $54,000 to, to, to do that, you know, financed his expenses and stuff. So, and then there were connections between that and uh, those CIs and the, the, the uh, FBI that was running that and certain groups that were at the January 6th uh, March as well. So, yeah. yeah, like, and I'm not alleging that I know these answers. I'm saying, hey, there's some smoke. Why don't we sniff around the area <laughs> just to well, see what might all, be there? It's all consistent with the FBI's involvement in the Russian collusion scam and uh, the lying to the FISA court. You know, this yeah. would not surprise me a bit if the FBI was uh, higher ups were pursuing this to damage uh the, the right and Trump supporters and, uh, uh, well. Yeah, no, Ken, I appreciate the call. I think I, I think the amount of damage that was done by the feds 
in pursuit of Trump cannot be understated. It radicalized a lot of people. It completely blew up their trust in the FBI and the DOJ, uh, DOJ, whatever trust they may have had at that point. Now, I trust Boomer, Von Cannon, to tell me the truth about the traffic. And so let's uh, hear what he has to say for himself. Thank you. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Brett Jensen filling in for Brett Winterbull. Up next, stick around for that. I'm sorry, I'm just going back to this, the MWOW guide. And there's also the Charlotte Waste Wizard tool, or as I like to call it, the CWW. It's online at charlottenc.gov. And I'm just looking through this thing, and it's like, okay, um... Do not deposit windows. What are you kidding me? I, I'm not allowed to throw windows away in the, in the container. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Who would throw a window in? Oh, I'm sure people do. Ceramic dishes, drinking glasses, eyeglasses, aquariums. I do not want to live in a world where I cannot throw an aquarium away in the recycling. <laughs> but what else? Seriously, what else would I do with that? I'm going to make a separate run to the transfer station for that. Also, picture glass. So I just, I feel the need, I don't know, because I was raised Catholic. I have a lot of, like, residual guilt for this stuff. So I just feel the need to say, I'm sorry, because I know that I have violated these protocols. I know I have made life more difficult for recyclers. I apologize. I'm sorry I don't know who you are, but I've done this to you. I've thrown, I've thrown broken drinking glasses away. I put them in brown paper bags first, though. I have. I've, that's, I've done that. When glass is separated ahead of time, the glass processors say they will encounter little to no contamination. Um, right now, 75% of glass can be processed and recycled in Mecklenburg. Um, the rest of the 25% gets discarded due to contamination. Okay. So they're trying to close the gap there of the last 25%. And, like, I get it. But here, like here's another thing, though. The most common mistake residents make is throwing plastics like fruit containers, cutlery, and straws into the recycling. Now, I did learn that about the straws, right? The straws, apparently, if you use a plastic straw, from what I understand, it is the equivalent of shoving it up the nose of a sea turtle or something. Like, I'm basically guilty of doing that. If I ask for a straw at a restaurant... Well, I guess I need to know this. Wait, you would know this, Ryan. Are they banned here? Are, are, uh, I'm sorry. I, I know I'm distracting him. Are straws, the plastic straws, are they banned here in Charlotte? Do you know? No, I have them at my restaurant. All right. So they, they are allowable still here, but, but are they on request? Are there any ordinances that I need to be aware of? I usually put like eight on a table when I... Nice. <laughs> So you're you're I give, killing I give you're you, killing yes I'm I'm killing all the all the straws out there. Now, to be fair, he's not killing the sea turtles or the porpoises or whoever it is that it's they snort these things. Which, by the way, just as an aside, is it possible that these animals are actually using the straws to snort other things? But because they don't have fingers, the straws get inhaled in the process. And look, maybe they've decided this is worth it. For what they're trying to snort, I don't know what they're snorting. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just spitballing. It's a possibility. What are you implying? I'm implying that they're doing drugs. That's my (laughs) implication. I thought that was clear. (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) So uh, I don't know what they're using these straws for, but apparently they get jammed up their noses. And so we shouldn't be using the straws anymore. My wife actually has a collection of 
permanent straws. Metal, like she's got a couple glass ones. I've broken some, maybe accidentally. That's my that's my official position. Is an accident. And uh, well, because I clean, because I do the dishes, and so I have to clean these straws. And you ever, it's annoying. I've never seen a glass straw before. I had not either. It is <laughs> as you would imagine. It's a straw made of glass, and it's thick. It's like the size of your pinky, unless you have like an abnormally fat pinky. Then I'm not talking about your pinky. I just. Okay, so it's the uh, like a way to leave them out. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm now anti fat pinky. Um, no, it's so like how about, how about uh, like the size of I'm looking at this pen. It's one of these uh, uh, clicky Pentel Energel X pens. Anyway, so it's a it's like the the thickness of a pen. It's good for like smoothies. She drinks the smoothies with them. But yeah, she has them in her purse. She takes them out. She has the metal ones because they travel better. They don't get damaged. But man, they will they will freeze your lip because they're metal, right? They're like stainless steel. She uses these. She gets all sorts of compliments too when she uh, when she takes them out at restaurants and such. That, like this is the kind of people we are. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to go to a second location to drop off glass bottles. Like th- I'm. Oh, I don't even know what happens because one of those straws of hers broke and I threw it away. The list doesn't say glass straws. What am I supposed to do? Glass straws. Is that acceptable? I don't know. I'm going to have to consult the waste wizard. Um, but fruit containers? Okay, first off, I don't even know what that is. What's a fruit container? Are we talking about like like where strawberries and blueberries come? Like the really thin, crinkly, kind of thin plastic stuff at the grocery store? Those that would, things? That would be my guess. I'm not allowed to recycle that. Like, you guys got to get on the same page with the manufacturers of this stuff. I, like, I am... I feel like I am the child in, like, uh, a bad marriage, you know? Like, you guys have to get together, figure this out, and so I'm not caught in the middle of trying to decipher one parent's code of what's acceptable and what's not. I shouldn't have to pick, you know? Hello, Larry. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, please. It's good to hear you on there, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Larry. Uh, you know, the, I got a collection of glass straws myself. You take are, there, a little, are there big, fat bowls of water attached to the bottoms of them? No, these little ramekins like you get at the restaurant and put your barbecue sauce in, you can put other items in them and then, like, have a lighter and, and kind of... Are you sure? Throw. Wait, is this... Do you also go by the name Dave? Well, I know him. He lives in Asheville, but he I does. don't miss him. Yeah, he does indeed. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> I kind of thought, see that you do this long enough, you know where they're going and you know where they've been. Mecklenburg right now spends nearly $2 million handling improperly recycled items, including baby diapers. Who are you nasty people throwing baby diapers into the risk? Re- okay. Well, maybe they're not used. All right. All right. Hang on. That might be my bad including baby diapers. It doesn't say used. I just went, my mind went there. My apologies. And by the way, I saved this story until the very end because I was told yesterday that I was talking about gross things in the noon hour and people were eating lunch. So see that? I, I have accommodated. I'm a giver. I'm, this is what I do for you. So I saved this story for the end. Uh, baby diapers, 
strollers as well. People throw away strollers into the recycling bin. What kind of an animal does that? Who would do such a thing? A stroller, it's got fabric in it. Especially for how much you're paying for the strollers, too. That's true. What is the aftermarket value like that? For there's, there's got to be a used market. Wait, wait, do the cars for kids people, do they take the strollers? Right? Why not? It has wheels. It has wheels. Probably four of them, I'm thinking. Right? Or more. It's got, it's got the fabric. It's got plastic molded, you know, components. It's got some handles on it. I don't know. It's... I don't understand. The thing's got fabric on it. Why would you throw fabric into the recycling bin? I don't, I don't get it. One in five items that residents try to recycle do not belong in their curbside recycling bins. One in five. So 20% of what we're tossing away in the recycling bins should not be there. Again, I, I, I am pleading for just some sort of... Uh, streamlining you know i also think by the way uh, streamlining of the of the product so this way like we know and i understand that was the whole point i thought that was the whole point of the numbers wasn't that the point of the numbers you go one through six and these are the different things and then you could say we won't take the fives and we don't take the sixes or whatever wasn't that the point of this system how come it doesn't work why am i just finding out about this right now and why is this getting me so angry i don't know um i do think that the problem probably was exacerbated a little bit, probably, by um, the pandemic. Wine and liquor. Probably more bottles getting tossed. So it's probably worse now over the last year. Just my guess. Uh, not a guess. News is coming up next. And then uh, Brett Jensen in for Brett Winderbull on News Talk 1110993 WBT. Thanks for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.